0: Gracious God, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for these wonderful friends, wonderful people here gathered. Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us minds. Thank you for giving us curiosity. Thank you for welcoming our questions. We pray now that you would uh, bless John in the words that he has to say, that he might answer some of our questions and lead us to ask even more all in an effort to deepen our faith. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
1: Amen. All right. Thank you. Okay. um, We want to always have questions addressed into this mic. I know it seems laborious. Uh, Is anyone feeling rather spry today? You'll do it? okay so just when somebody raises their hand c- and today you might really have to hop to it so all of your skills and training and we'll come into play uh... well it's really nice to see you all uh... did everyone get a handout for today that's called science sacred and Selves sec- session two you need one of these um, here are some extra ones please make sure you have one and then uh, Sorry to belabor you with this kind of stuff at the beginning of the class, but did everyone get one from last week? Anyone not have one from last week? Uh, Help me, would you just raise your hand if you didn't get one, and Donna will give you one. Okay, um, I want to start out by telling a story today from my personal life. If you, if you didn't know me or if you just listened to the sur- story on the surface, you could maybe hear a Western uh, cultural superiority tone in the story. Uh, and obviously I'm the Westerner and I would be the one coming off as superior. But I want to repudiate that notion right from the beginning. I'm not telling you the story to demonstrate Western superiority over any other particular culture in the world. I'm telling you story because it shows how people look at things differently based on how they know. And of course we'll be having an oral quiz in 7 minutes <laughs> on how we know. Did you did you study this week? Did you did you rank? Everybody did it. But I want you to hear this story not as one culture being superior to another but as two different ways of looking at the universe. So I had the pr- privilege of many times going to Africa. And where I used to go in Africa is right on the equator. So when you look at the stars when you're there they're wrong. <laughs> 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 Things don't look right. And so I used to do that as much as I can. I love to stargaze anyways, and of course there in western Africa on the equator a very little light so you could get to places where, you know, it's, and we used to go out into uh, villages that had not even seen uh, white people before. And I would go into these villages and the mothers thought this was a fun game to show their little baby to me. And the baby, never having seen a monstrosity with white skin before, would start literally screaming. And they thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I was like, don't traumatize your baby. (laughs) That's how, so you're out there and it's pitch black and you can just see the stars. So one night I was out there with one of my African brothers and he was in my class and we're sitting out there stargazing. And I sort of committed a cultural faux pas because I assumed that he would know something. Um, And I said to him, isn't it amazing to think (coughs) that the starlight that we're looking at is actually millions of years old and it's and it's in the past. It's past light. It's taken so long to get here. And um, uh, his response He thought I was tripping. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> the stars are there. And so I started it started dawning on me, oh, what you did was You assumed that he had had the benefit of all the scientific understanding and training that you have had. And he had not had that. So when he was sitting there looking at the stars, what kind of an experience is he having? He's having, he thinks it's real time. And he's probably, he's having an aesthetic experience. They're beautiful. He could be having a God experience. But the one thing that he did not know, and I don't know if he knows it to this day, because as I tried to explain it to him, I don't think it was making a lot of sense to him because it was the first time he heard something like this, and the first time any of us hear it, it's pretty weird. That when you're looking at the stars, you're looking into the past. I mean, that is just counterintuitive. So when he looked at them, he's having one experience. When I looked at them, because of the benefit of my education... My relatives were scientists. When I was 10 years old, they gave me this book, not quite as big as this cool one that I brought today, but a big one. And, and like this one does, they had a chart that showed the beginning of the cosmos and the end of the cosmos. And I remember studying this and grokking it when I was 10 years old, and I r- realized what the scientists were saying, that the universe was going to come to an end, and I started learning about this, it was mind blowing. Well, I had scientists, relatives who encouraged me to study this, it wasn't because I was smarter than this guy, it's just that I got the information and he didn't, and so what's the point of the story? Perceptions are relative, okay? Uh, It's not that we're both right, but we're both having a rightful experience, right? We're having our authentic experience. He's having one that would be what we would call a pre modern experience, right? He's looking at the universe the way the vast majority of human beings l- looked at the universe before we found out what? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we found out, like we studied last week, we found out the Earth isn't at the center. In fact, we're living in a heliocentric solar system. And then we found out what? I mean, we're living in one of the most amazing, exciting times ever in terms of science. We found out what? (laughs) Yes, we found that out. We found out that the Earth is not flat, that the Earth is not at the center. We found out that through Hubble's Law, through the Hubble Telescope, which this whole book is pictures of, we found out what? That the universe is amazingly big, it's expanding. And then we found out what? The speed of light, which is what? This this guy right here is my scientific uh, brother here, so anytime I get lost, I can just always ask him. 186,000 miles per second. How many miles per hour, if you want to understand how fast light is? Uh, Yes, um so think about this, a bolt of light can go around the earth basically seven times in one second, boom, one second, that's how fast, seven and a half times around the circumference of the world, that's how fast light travels. Well, we didn't know that until when? Yes. (laughs) Yes. We have only known this for roughly 100 years, approximately, and we've only known it for sure from the last 50, and we've only known for sure in the last 50 years via Hubble's uh, experimentations and whatnot that we know for sure now the universe is expanding at astronomical rates. It's unbelievable. We didn't know that. So now that we know that, when I look out there at the stars, I have an experience. I have an aesthetic experience. I might have a God experience. But I also have been blessed to have what? Uh, a scientific experience. And I can, it's like, uh, okay, who, who, there's some great musicians in this church. Um, who who can uh, hear music and you can just hear a song and you know what key it is and you can figure out all the notes right in your head? Who can do this? They're in the choir. <laughs> you know there's people that can do this, right? So when you go and hear a concert... If you're not musically inclined and can't read music, you're having a prime experience. You're enjoying it. It's aesthetically pleasing to you. You're enjoying it. But the the maestro sitting next to you that knows music can read it and understands exactly in their head like a mathematical computation when the music is being played exactly what's going on, they're having another kind of an experience on top of the musical one. Does it make sense? So, what's the point of the story? Me and my African.
0: Has a lot, our experience has a lot to do with what we already
1: know, so it's empirical. You are brilliant. <laughs> our lived experience is going to be predicated upon and based upon what we consider to be valid sources of knowledge, or where we're going to get our knowledge from, how we know. How we know based, determines what we experience and what we conclude based on our observations. This is, makes sense, right? So, um, that's fantastic. Now, if anybody has ever seen this picture before and knows what it is, you're not allowed to say. This is only for people who have never seen it before. Maybe it's not going to work out on the stand. Can you see it now? What does it look like? A cobweb? (laughs) This is a Rorsch test. (laughs) I'm going to find out what's really going on in your psyches today. Looks like John (laughs) Geibart. Ah, it's a constellation getting hot. Wow. Okay, this is what the universe pictorially represented from a photograph and done in painting. Looks like one billion light years across. One billion light years. So light traveling at 186,000 miles per second starting here would take one billion light years to get to this side. Is that numb your mind? Is that too much at 9.30 on Sunday morning? I don't believe you. (coughs) I don't believe you. (laughs) 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 That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when I did this painting, I put a little tiny dot of gold paint right here in the center. But it's a falsified vision. It's so completely false because you can actually see this little gold dot, right? Can you see it? Well, that's supposedly where our local group is, and our lo- local group of galaxies. And th- that local group of galaxies is so mind-staggeringly big, you can't even, it's, they dwarf our solar system. They make our Milky Way look like a little peapod. You can't even represent where we are adequately in the size of the universe. And the weird thing is, this is only one billion light years across, this is the best our technology can do right now. What's uh, what else is out there? Billions more. Yeah, this is just one little snapshot of one chunk of the universe, and that's mind-numbing as it is. Now, um, how many of you have uh, <coughs> ever like encountered something like this before? What I'm telling you right now, how big the universe is. Some of you. So I take it the rest of you are either shy or don't want to get called on, or (laughs) it's true that you you may not have even seen this before I realized this. I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. But the first time that you find this out, I think it's somewhat akin to an African being told what? (laughs) (laughs) You're looking at the past, dude. (laughs) (laughs) You're looking at the past. That doesn't seem right, you we find out how big the universe is and you're like, no, that can't, what, what could that be, what point? So what my point is for us today is very simple. The more you know and the source of knowledge that you know, it's going to force you determine, force you and de- help you determine how you put together your worldview and how you understand life. Okay, so anybody want to talk about this? I hope you really get that first premise. It's going to be very helpful when we do our next portion. Really? <laughs> John, yes. You, it also be true that the more we know, the more we realize we don't know. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, like, <clears throat> classic example, Sir Isaac Newton at the end of his life somebody said to him how does it feel to be the most knowledgeable person in the world the man who knows more than anybody else and it was true in his realm I mean you just think about that isn't that weird that you could there could be one person who knew more than anybody else in the whole world on a particular topic isn't that crazy and Isaac Newton was that guy and they said how does it feel to be that guy And he said, well, here's how I feel. I feel like a little kid that went down to the seashore with two buckets, and I filled both of them up with sand, and that's what I have. And now I look down this side of the seashore and this side of the seashore, and that's what I don't have. What was in his buckets? What he knew. (laughs) That's sand, yes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Don't be so literal. (laughs) His knowledge. So he was aware of the fact that he, the most knowledgeable man in the whole world knew that he had only what? Just of what could be known, he had only dipped into a small amount of it. So if Isaac Newton felt that way, I think it all... It, it's, a, it's pretty axiomatic. By the way, anybody that's ever been called to the nightmare of doing a PhD dissertation finds out about this as well. That the more you know, the more you don't know. Like one of the requirements is whatever your topic is, you're supposed to read every piece of literature that's ever been written on the topic. Good luck. That's like drinking water from a fire hydrant. And then so you've got to get your topic narrowed down to such a little tiny thing that no one else has ever written on it, and then you can become the world expert on it. But you have to know everything about it. And then, in the process of learning about everything about there is to know about a particular topic, you discover what? I just fell down Alice's rabbit hole. There's no end to this. I will never know everything that can be known about this. That's the point. Then your professors say what? Now you're ready to be launched into the world because you know what? You know everything there is to know about a certain topic, and yet you know what? You know what you don't. Virtually you know nothing. That you
0: don't know
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's the way you're supposed to leave the academy. So, yes. What, how does that make you feel?
2: Very small.
1: Okay. All right, well, it should, because it, it's, you know, even, this is what I call intellectual humility. Even atheists have intellectual humility, because they realize, I don't know everything there is to know, And so when you have that posture, that's a good posture to have. It's good for all of us. Anybody else on this topic? So tell me, does anyone want to tell us as a community how you ranked your five ways of knowing? Did anyone at all do the assignment? (laughs) Can anyone remember what the five ways of knowing are? and I love it as a as a teacher. You know, when you ask a question and you hear this rustling of papers, what does that mean? Everybody's going for their notes. <laughs> I, <laughs> they
0: all started with
1: an S. I appreciate that, but what's what's the big one? I mean, the
0: they all started
1: with an S. It, I, yeah, they all start with S's. Science, self, society, uh, social, yeah, mm-hmm. sacred, sacred. sacred. And the last one doesn't really work great, but it's got an S. Homework. (laughs) Homework. Sense, meaning common, meaning logic, meaning learning how to think logically. Now, I want to say one thing on this topic that Roger Barrett brought up to my attention last week, and it was a good point. You remember I said, well, social knowledge, you know, that's knowledge of, like, history, psychology, anthropology, these are all social sciences, and and he he, he asked me, well, why didn't you put that under science, per se, because these people are doing science, too, and it's a good point to keep in mind. uh, You can look at it either way. If you want to build your own chart, you could take all that we learn from the social sciences and shove it into the scientific category, and then just have four ways of knowing with the understanding that sometimes science is based on what? Uh, inanimate stuff, and sometimes it's based on people. You could form a framework that way. But the point, what I want you to see is these are, these are, can anybody think of another way that we know stuff? Did anybody come up with that this week? Got drunk on the Browns last week, didn't you? <laughs> Told you not to watch them. <coughs> All right, well, um, now, with this as the backdrop, since you're not saying anything, We are now going to do what is called a community hermeneutic Bible observation session. On your handout, there is a text from Romans 1. And the community hermeneutic approach is not only is there no such thing as a dumb question, there's no such thing as a dumb observation. And what we're going to do is make observations on this text and the theory of community hermeneutics and in interpreting the Bible is that we mutually correct one another and mutually teach one another. So with that as the understanding, no right or wrongs and no uh, worries, you can make any observation that you want at this point. Because now we're looking at an argument from Romans 1 and what Paul says happens when people look at the cosmos. So I'll read it and then we'll start making observations. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of humans who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood (coughs) by the things that are made, even God's eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, Because, although they knew God, they did not glorify God as God, nor were thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, or humans, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them over to or gave them up to uncleanness to lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever Amen All right, so I'm going to give you some uh, little categories here to kind of help us Um, and uh, if you find some other categories that you want to put your observations in that's great so here we have a symbol for God, here we have C for creation, and here we have over here the symbols for males and females, and I forget how they go now.
2: Females.
1: This one goes like that, and this one, is that right? Okay, so these, this is us humans, and we're interacting with, we're all interacting with a cosmos. Now, start making your observations. What, let's work through the text together as a team. No rights or wrong. Starting at number one, what does Paul assert? okay, uh, God is manifesting in some way what the Bible calls wrath. That's the first statement. <coughs> um, why Why is God displeased? Because, okay, now here we go over here to humans, and I want to put some of the... Uh, things that he says about humans in a positive category, and some, I'm sorry, in a negative category. So, uh, what do humans do?
0: Suppress the truth.
1: Uh, They are engaged in suppressing. Notice what he says here is a decidedly uh, not postmodern statement. He said, the truth, wow. Not a truth, but the truth. What's the truth that humans suppress? Text is telling us it's an argument. This is an argument that he's making
0: that God exists.
1: That the, the tr- they humans suppress the truth that God exists. That's something that we do. And but it, that should be okay though, right? Because how would we even know that God exists?
0: By the five different ways of
1: knowing. By the five different ways of knowing. Okay, well then. Use the five different ways of knowing and look at this argument. What is Paul saying? How do humans supposedly know that there is a God? God, well, this is what he said. It's not just God's wrath that's being manifested. It's also God doing what? God is manifesting, which means what? Making known, showing, manifesting God to humans... God is making God known to all humans. How is God doing that? And us, and then it, some people believe God's within us, and then some, and what about creation? Well, it says, them, so. it's, manif- yeah, it's manifested in them, to them. It's, it's, it's actually being mediated. The knowledge of God is actually being mediated into human beings by God. How? What's the argument here?
0: You can see it in creation.
1: By the things that have been made, creation, which everybody's looking at, right? Africans, Western Europeans, trained uh, astrophysicists and people that have never uh, been in any realm of civilization whatsoever. We're all looking at the cosmos. And what does Paul say gets mediated into people? What kind of specific knowledge of God gets delivered to people when they look at the cosmos? Eternity and power. Okay, God's eternal nature and divine, eternal power and divine nature. Now let's unpack those for a second. So he's saying that when you look at the cosmos, when you look at all this stuff, when you look at how the universe is, it should be, and it is, he says, a conclusion that there's some eternal being or person or power behind this grand show. What do you think about that argument? That it's a log- is that a logical move to make? Based on the stuff that you can see and the patterns and creation itself, is that a logical move to say Yes, I think that behind this, there is a God, and that God is eternal, and God, that God has uh, power, and that power that God displays is manifested in a pattern that shows deity, intelligence, Godhood. Can I be devil's advocate? Of course, you, yes. <laughs> You're the only one in the room today that's drank their coffee. Why is that logical? I don't I'm. That's what I'm asking you. I don't think it is. You don't
0: think it is? I don't think it's logical. That doesn't mean I disbelieve it, but to me it's not logical. It doesn't
1: necessarily logically follow or flow? No. You mean it doesn't achieve crunching? You mean there's no other hypotheses that could be possible? You're saying that there are other possible hypotheses that could also maybe be appear to be logical. And so this one doesn't like... Smash the absolute last vestige of well, the alternative.
0: It, it may to me because I grew up in a Christian culture. Yes. So I'm maybe predetermined, predestined. Oops. <laughs> I'm maybe, you know, it's you predetermined that, it's me that, church, yeah. that I would look at it that way. Yeah. But I don't know that that's necessarily purely scientifically logical if there's such
1: a thing. Yes, sir. What about him? Did you
2: look at it this
1: way? Well, I would say that um, in the history of the human race, um, you now this is a logical fallacy, by the way. It's called consensus gentium. Judge Milligan, you remember this one? <laughs> just because a lot of people believe a certain thing, the consensus of the nations, just because there's consensus on something, doesn't mean it's true. But if you looked at the human race and you looked at the history of the human race the consensus conclusion of most people is what? This, it didn't just happen. Somebody was behind the big show. Somebody put it together. Now, does that make it right? No. And now you've been bold and brazen enough and bald enough to say that you don't even think it's necessarily a logical argument. Well, if it's not a logical argument, then what kind of an argument is it? I'm not challenging you. Yeah, I don't know. Illogical? (laughs) (laughs) No. No, we don't want illogical. You think it is a logical argument. Oh. A lot of logical Yes, and they can look good on paper as a model.
2: Uh, or there was a designer. You know, we can't prove either one at this time. Wow. Now look on your handout,
1: because we're not done with Romans 1 yet, but we'll, we've got to go forward now. You've, I put down at the bottom two two hypotheses. This is the other one. Okay, what the one we just looked at that Paul is arguing for is he's saying that behind the cosmos there was an eternal God who had an eternal plan and that led to the cosmos. And he's saying that humans down here looking at the cosmos can come to the conclusion what? That there is an eternal God with an eternal plan with an eternal pattern that could put the whole thing together. That's his argument. And that it's clear enough that you should know this. You you know that God exists. What's the other model? Eternal matter Times, random chance because we, in this model you get rid of a designer, a planner, a.k.a. what? God. You get rid of God. Because, you know, we don't know if God exists or not but what we do know is what? The cosmos. the cosmos exists. And if you have any doubts about that, see me, I have great medicine that I used to take in the 60s <laughs> to help with that. Eternal matter times random chance. You got that? Led to what? The cosmos. Now, you can't use creation in that model. Creation is a... um, That's a God thing. You just have to put a... Actually, this model, this postulate right here, this given... Do you guys remember in uh, high school uh, mathematics, what's an axiom? What's a postulate? You guys are breaking my heart. What's (laughs) an axiom? A truth that you don't bother wasting time figuring out whether it is true or not. You accept it as a truth because your teacher told you it's an axiom. Count on it. Act on it, believe that it's true, and you, then you work out from that axiom, right? You remember this? The axiom could be false, but you're not allowed to do that in, that in that school, in that model. You just have to say it's true. So, wow, what's similar about this model and this model? Well, they, they both are an explata- e- explanational. Hypotheses to account for the existence of the cosmos. That's what we're doing here. We're talking about, I did this. <laughs> Where, how? Model one, a God from all eternity and an eternal God who had no beginning, who had a plan, an eternal plan, brought forth the cosmos. We're not even talking about how long and all that stuff right now. Just the fact that God exists and did it. Model two. Eternal matter. Matter just is. Well, you know, in this model, the Big Bang would be somewhere like, I mean, you can't visualize it. Eternal matter means what? It never had a beginning. It has always been. It's mind-boggling. This, it's 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Isn't this fun? It has always been. And then the Big Bang would just be some little blip down here. Because it's been floating around and doing all kinds of stuff until it condensed apparently into what is called a singularity and then it exploded. But prior to the Big Bang, there was what? Something had to be there that banged, <laughs> right? That's called a singularity in science. It, it's just one little single dot of concentrated beyond everything, and out of that, all, everything that it currently exists. But prior to that, we don't even know. They don't even know. It's just, you just go back forever. Is this a scientific construct? Is it provable? Is it science? how <laughs> it will be, how so? <laughs> well,
2: just as you talked about
1: your friend in Africa, where they were at that point in time and where we are today. Uh, uh, okay, yeah, I mean we're increasing astronomically in our ability to verify certain things, right? Fantastic. What I want to know, though, is have we verified that matter is eternal? And therefore, is this a scientific formula?
2: It's the axiom energy can't be created or destroyed.
1: Yes, and that's the second law of thermodynamics that energy cannot be created nor destroyed. However, that's misstated by scientists. They should say, as far as we've ever been able to observe, right? Because they don't know that energy has never been created. What they know is we've never seen it created, and we've never seen it destroyed. So that's, that is true right now. So based on that observation that we've never seen energy destroyed, the scientists do what? I'm not picking on them. These scientists, these people, do what at that point? They make a... Um, They, they take a leap. <laughs> but it's not blind faith, is it? Scientific. They have a lot of science back here. That they, and then at the end, they look at the whole thing and they say, well, I've got to account for this cosmos somehow, so I'm going to st- lay out a model. I'm going to take a leap and I'm going to say, okay, let's look at things this way. And I'm going to posit or lay down as an, a- an, as an axiom that the universe is eternal. And then i got to find a mechanism, a driving force to account for the patternistic displays that we find in our universe that led to creatures like you and me that actu- actually on Sunday morning can sit here and ponder where the cosmos came from. They've got to come up with an explanation for that. And what's the explanation? What drove the whole show? A plan? Well, yes, but he, when you say evolution, uh, There are some people that believe God used evolution. This kind of evolution would be what? You can't even hardly use evolve at that point because to use evolve, you have to have a goal or a plan to what you are evolving towards. And this model just says what? It is what it is. By the way, did anyone see interstellar? There's a line in there that says, there's no sense in caring about the universe because the universe doesn't care about you. <laughs> now, you got this model? Th- this is, this... Jerry, this is the other uh, hypotheses. Now, what do you think? This one says what? Looking at the cosmos, we should be able to infer and conclude what? That somebody? Yes. I,
0: I, feel like
2: the, I feel like the model on the left works fine as long as we understand the plan. To a person who is in the earth and has the experiences, oh, we're all here for love and all these wonderful things. But then when you look at the cosmos that's so mind-blowing, there's no way we can understand its plan, that's when it starts to lose the credibility. Yes, yeah,
1: so I agree with you. And then I think about somebody like Anne Frank, and I, I know you all know who she was, and Anne Frank's diary, Holocaust teenager, wound up getting um, killed at um, uh, Dachau. And she puts in there at one point, "Well, in the end, I still believe." Does anyone know the end of it?
0: People are basically good.
1: People are basically good. Well, I'm not arguing with that. No, I
0: don't
3: want to use that. John don't you do <laughs> Okay, well, mm-hmm. go. Um it <laughs> um, That when God created humans, that, okay, if you see creation, you should have, you should be able to understand that God is there, but that's because God created us in his image. So, like, how would you explain how we have this feeling that we, uh, I don't know how to describe it. This, I think that everyone has, has, was born good, they were created to have any good. And then whatever was created in this world, it turned people to bad because God is ultimately good. And right. why couldn't um, with the right hand side, maybe God did create it with a big bang and that's how he planned it to go.
1: Yes, but you have to understand this right side is negating this notion. So it's not about the big bang at all. It's just about eternal matter floating around with no plan at all and it got yes, assembled.
3: refusing to believe that there was something higher above them. That's what that Paul says. In.
1: Paul says that if you embrace this model, in effect, what are we doing? We're suppressing the truth. the truth in unrighteousness because Paul is saying it's clearly being mediated to us through, through the cosmos that there had to be, there is a God that made the whole thing. But to... Uh, your point. Yeah, when you're when you're going to go se- be sent to the con- in a concentration camp and you're going to be executed, it could be very easy to come over here and say, "What? Uh, I don't feel like there's any eternal plan working out very well for me, and my life is miserable." When evil and uh, evil arises, then it's more likely for people to say, "I don't think there's any plan at all." If your life is going pretty well then it's easier to believe that there is a plan. Has, has anybody ever felt like there isn't a plan? I mean, that's hard to admit, but sometimes people say, I, I can't figure out what's going on here. So, uh, what do you guys think about these two hypotheses? Well, I never thought,
3: well, how did I have the brain
1: power to think about that? Like, you mean this? <coughs> Oh, uh, the current view uh, of uh, scientists is, that that's actually the cutting edge. Brain science, brain psychology, and the understanding of human consciousness. That is the hot field. In fact, Sam Harris, who's one of the most notable uh, uh, atheists in the world today, is, is doing, finishing his PhD in brain science uh, at Columbia University. And that's his number one pursuit to figure out and try to figure out how this kind of a universe can produce creatures that are conscious and can actually then look back at the source from whence they came, the cosmos, and understand the cosmos. Isn't that crazy? That's what he's trying to figure out, how to account for human consciousness. I guess you're looking at me like I'm a cult leader. What's, go- <laughs> what's going on out there? We're stuck at the impasse. One person said this is not logical. Then is this logical? They're like both weird, right? (laughs) I mean, and why is it weird to think of something like Eternality, eternal. Or another little fancy word Presbyterians like, the aseity of God. A S E I T Y. God is uncreated and non created and did not create himself. God has simply always been. Want to have a cool God experience? Go out before it gets too nasty, stare at the stars, and you're only allowed to talk to God about God's eternality look at the stars and ponder think about you have always been there's never been a time when you did not exist there will never be a time when you will never exist or that you will cease existing and just start talking to God that way way better than drugs (laughs) you will have a God experience so if that's logical, then that has to be logical. If this isn't logical, then this isn't necessarily logical. It's not necessarily wrong. So then what are we going to call them? Because they can't be, uh, they, we can't regard them as science, can we? Because does anyone know this? Does anyone know this? <coughs> they're, yes, they're, they're what? they're hypotheses they're axioms they're, they're ways of starting to look at the universe to give an account for it you, have, you lay the uh, hypotheses down next to one another and then you eventually you have to say what? well they can't both be true right? can they both be true?
2: God, I'm sorry, you've got an eternal God and an eternal plan. Well, how how did God make the universe? I mean, we don't know that matter is eternal. I mean, you know, in theoretical physics right now, uh, uh, quantum theory shows that you can have a vacuum. You can have particles and matter just materialize out of the vacuum. Who's to say that, you know, God could be eternal and he could have created matter That at least as far yeah, back they, as we they, can most go?
1: Pe- there were people that used to believe that, too. They would postulate just an um, explosion out of nothing.
2: As far back as so we can uh, go as 16 billion years or so. Yeah. I mean so th-
1: th- th- that used to be a theory. Eternal nothing with no purpose whatsoever led to the cosmos. People used to believe that. Some people did. So yeah, c- we'll put that up there to be honest. the a minority view.
2: But isn't the of the matter the orientation? I mean, both of these are going at the same purpose. And one of them focuses on what man can do and understand. And the other focuses on the supernatural and God, which man can't understand because we're told that we'll never get the spirit in this realm. I mean, they're both after the same thing. But they're both, they're, one one is by man and one is by God and one is natural one is supernatural.
1: Yeah, right, right, right. They're contradictory. They're they're two opposing views. And no matter how you juggle this over so here, so
2: we're not comparing apples to apples.
1: No, That's my point.
2: You, you, well, we're we we want the same basket in the end, but we're not. Now yeah, everybody
1: same wants to know what what is going on. How did this come to be? You have the God answer, and you have. The non-God answer, these are the two prime responses. What does Paul say most humans, many humans do? When they get encountered with the evidence, what do they do? They have to suppress it, which means that Paul would view the modern world, he would view this hypothesis right here, as what? As a suppression. And it bothers us because then we say, well, neither one of them be- can be proved, and neither- they can both be somewhat logical inside, but there's no way to finally, ultimately, figure out which one is true, so what are we going to do? Well, what are the ways that we can know?
2: Carry two buckets. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Newton did.
1: We have to look at other evidences. We have to use all of the ranges of our, our abilities to know, right? Now, of course, these people, they've come to the conclusion by looking at the, at the cosmos, they deleted, and remember, this is atheistic naturalism. I'm not talking about all scientists here. I'm talking about a particular viewpoint that denies the existence of God. What did they delete out of the ways of knowing? Well, certainly, what would they put as their number one? The sacred. The sacred. These people? They deleted, they, deleted. they deleted sacred, right? Somewhere along the line, as they were changing and growing and going to school, and eventually they said, I don't believe in the sacred anymore. So now I've got four left. What am I going to use? Science. So, yeah, I mean, this is pr- predict- you know, primarily a way of scientifically looking at the universe, so-called we just found out there's a little glitch and a paradox to the whole thing right because yes it's a scientific it's an attempt to use science to explain the universe but it's essential central prem- premise is what is that science <coughs> no. what is it it's a hypothesis it's a it's a faith statement it's a it's a f- an initial starting point to get the whole argument going just like, is Paul saying that this is, is, is Paul saying that the cosmos is proof of God's existence? Or is he saying that it's not, it's not what you would consider proof, but the witness of it is so overwhelming that you ought to regard it as a, a definite evidence? Yes, Suzanne.
4: of the infinite and the eternal already negates the other side because they don't even have a way to discuss it, the uh, scientific side.
1: Uh, how would you think that we do?
4: We just acknowledge that our minds are finite and we cannot comprehend that there is no end and never has been and never will be. That is just beyond Anything that we can make our minds work.
1: Worth. Yeah, it, it's, it's shattering, yes. And, so but you think what, that these people should what?
4: Well, they've limited their view by saying...
1: Oh, they've said, even though I'm finite, I'm not going to allow for the possibility that there could be an infinite Well, source. there's just
4: no concept, really, mm-hmm. of what goes, what's next or what's yeah, beyond. Yeah, it is what it
1: is for those people. This is the universe. There's so no already r- they—it's a glitch. Well, now um, let's let's trace it. let's track out the rest of the passage. Yes, Judge, you. Want? Well, one difference is the cause of
2: causes. Uh, on the left side, uh, we're given a hypothesis that speaks to the
1: cause of causes. Yes. On the right side, we don't even go to that step. It's irrelevant. It's, it just is what it is. Yes. Right, that's why this one has no plan. Yes. Star Wars? Star Wars fans? Why does the Force work? Yeah, yeah, it's in this. It's all, all around us. Why does it work? Is it intelligent? Does it take sides? You don't pray to the force, right? It just is. It's just cosmic energy. You can use it for whatever you want. But this over here, the cause of causes, there's a plan, there's a purpose, there's somebody behind the plan. Now, do you, did you see in this passage what Paul says, what happens to humans? I want you to see this before we go on. What happens when humans say, I don't believe in sacred knowledge, Therefore, I'm going to delete this hypothesis, and I'm going to operate as if this universe is not being run by a creator. What does he say happens to humans? Let's look back at the text again. A couple more minutes. (coughs) Their foolish hearts are darkened. Okay, something happens to the uh, human heart when they... Now, remember, you have to think about this. I'm just tracking it out for you. When you adopt this hypothesis, he says something happens to your heart, it becomes darkened. How do you get to that darkened state, though? Does he say something? You've got to do something before you get to that. You have to engage in what he calls... <coughs> you have a text that says something like vain dialogues? Futile. Futile. Okay a vain dialogue. A dialogue is when you're arguing about something. The the dialogue is about where did the cosmos come from? The discussion is in the minds of the people that are going through this. Where did it come from? Can I figure out another way to explain for how the universe came to be? And Paul calls that a a vain dialogue. It's a self-centered dialogue because you're doing what to get to this conclusion? Whether you see this or not, what is he saying? if you engage in a dialogue that denies the fact that God created the universe Paul calls that what? self-centered in vain. So what happens to you when you engage in it? Then your heart becomes darkened and you lose the even greater ability to respond to God's revelation in nature. It's a cumulative uh, darkening effect that happens to humans. Then what? It's the big exchange. Everybody has to do this. Every human being gets to the place where they have to come to this big exchange. Now, Paul says if you uh, embrace the eternal matter, random chance hypotheses, it involves exchanging what for what. You have to give one thing up, and you get something else in back. And back in return. You give up what? Glory the glory of God. You give up the reality of God. You give up a theocentric universe. You give up believing that God is in control. And in exchange, you get what? Well, he calls it a lie. But just analytically, what 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 is left? Once you delete God, once you say, I'm not going to buy into that anymore. The lust of your heart. Ah, uh, But before you get to the lust of the hearts, there's something that. You, you're gonna, you're, you will give up a primary this is Paul's idea you're giving up God and everything else no matter what it is is always going to be what? a secondary whether it be intellectual pursuit or physical pursuit or material pursuit or whatever it is that you then organize your life around once you delete God and then you only have this universe to operate on and you're going to pursue one of those things and that becomes your, your main pursuit so in this case you exchange what? God, who is the primary, primary reality being witnessed to by creation, you give that up and then you embrace, as a human, what? Some form of a secondary. And when you make a secondary into a primary, what does the Bible call that? Idolatry because the only thing that should be acknowledged as God is as God yes because God is God so no matter what you do with the information whatever exchange you have it just so happens in this passage he talks about it and I'm going to end on this note God gives people over and I want you to see this God doesn't give up on people God gives people over when they embrace this and exchange the truth of God for a lie this is what God does now find verse 24. What's the first thing that he says that happens when people do this? Oops. For this reason, God gave them over to what? Uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts. Okay, this is just called a good old uh, heterosexual um fornication, which is sex outside of marriage. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. Uh, that's the first example of what happens when people negate the existence of God. God allows them to do that. How about verse 26? Doesn't give up on them, but allows them to replace a primary with a secondary. So in this case, they're replacing intimate love with God with what? What? Erotic love. Romantic love. Which is a good thing, right? Romantic love. It's a good thing. But it's a secondary. It's not a primary. So if you make it a primary, then you mess it up. So, next thing, what does he say? God allows people to do what? Engage in... What kind of... uh, uh, Okay, I'll help you here because no one wants to say it. This is um, same gender uh, eroticism or or sexuality or marriage or whatever. Well, because if you... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't give you the whole verse. You have to look in your Bibles now. I didn't have enough room on the page. I'm so sorry. Verse 26, I'm so sorry. I don't have enough time to make these mistakes. Got to quickly find verse 28 now, too. Heterosexual fornication, same, geng- same gender eroticism. Verse 28. This is a mental giving over to what kind of a mind. He calls it depraved. It means a mind that can no longer think in consort or in harmony with God's thoughts. And so now here's, here's my point to you. You understand here, he's describing what happens to the human race when they fall away from God. They have uh, intimacy and sexual problems, intima- intimacy and sexual problems, then they have mental problems. And if you want to take this as he's painting a linear descent into the levels of hell or whatever, you want to do that, then the worst state is what? This one which I wanna, wanna, what I want to understand is why we spend all our time on this one in our culture today. It's like two students. I told you this joke before, but it's so funny I'm going to tell you again. Two students arguing in the back of my class one time, and one of them said, at least I didn't funk it as bad as you did. <laughs> so these are what? Symptoms or evidences. You don't want to be, be negative. These are what? Failing grades. They're evidences of what? They're secondaries made primaries, and how did they become primaries? By saying no to God. Now, before we, I, wanna, I want you to leave on the coolest note ever. Now, did you see that in verse 24, 26? Did you see that sequence, 28? It said God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over, right? That sounds mean, doesn't it? Like God just, you know, if you say, oh, God, I don't believe in you, then God's just gonna let all this terrible stuff happen to you. Sounds mean, but now find 424 in Romans. What did God eventually do? Talking about Jesus. Did I give you the right text, 424? He was... Ah, what, what verse is that? that so sorry. Yeah. Synaptic break. 425. He was handed over for our... What? Trespasses. Trespasses. And he was raised for our justifications. Guess what? Same Greek word. God handed them over, handed them over, handed them over. He hands the human race over to what? When we say no to God, he hands us over to whatever we want to do. We learn through that what? We're supposed to learn. What are we supposed to learn from all this? Something's wrong. I made a mistake somewhere. And then we're supposed to return to God. And then we find out what? God gave Jesus over to the entire punishment of everything that the human race did when they said no to God. God gave him over. So it's not that God gives up on the human race. God always is for us, and we know that because of what Christ did for us on the cross. All right, now that's Paul's argument. Creation testifies to a creator. The alternative hypothesis leads to a nightmare in society. That's his argument. And you and I should know and walk out of here today when we look at the cosmos, no matter how we explain how it came to be in the sense of time and all that. Paul says what? It testifies to us that there is an eternal God that made us, who has a plan, and that sent Christ to us to take up our shortcomings. So, come back next week and have lots of great questions. Uh, make, make sure you go see Interstellar. Uh, I wouldn't call it Stellar, but it's, uh, it's got some interesting s- physics in it. Have a blessed day.
2: Thanks, John. I need one second. Housekeeping issue. We're trying to plan the next couple of weeks, and we know Thanksgiving is a huge, huge travel week. How many people think they might be here the Sunday following Thanksgiving? Will be. Will be. We, wanted, we were trying to determine how to give John maybe a break for his travel, and we will be here then, okay? We'll be here. Thank you.